0: I do think there's a slow creep and it's getting better. I want it to go faster though. I want to um, not be impoverished and have access to books that are in translation, books by men and female authors, books by a 12-year-old as well as a 95 or 105-year-old person. Um, We really need that space to open up so we have a breadth of lived experiences that we get to read through the literature that we're engaging with. Hello, hello, uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pleasure of the Text podcast. We are your hosts, Gareth and Shannon. Well, good actually, morning, it Shannon. Be Shannon and Gareth.
1: Well, no, you know what? Today it should definitely be Shannon and Gareth, and, and it normally is anyway. Um, yes. Good morning to you, Shannon. How are you going today?
0: Yeah, really good, and I'm just really excited about the topic that we're going to be doing today. Uh, I think. The last time I caught up with you, we had a beer and we had a huge discussion on it. And the reason why we wanted to do this podcast now is because next week we're doing our book review on Margaret Atwood, so Murder in the Dark. And Margaret Atwood's had a very interesting uh, career. She's been uh, censored and banned and that kind of led into the conversation about women forgotten in history in terms of their art and their literature. So today we're going to be talking about uh, women who got talked out of the room, um, back, you know, hundreds of years ago and even now today. So it's going to be a bit of a fiery topic and I'm ready to dig into it. What about yourself, Gareth?
1: Yeah, I mean look, it is gonna be it's it's a difficult topic. I don't think it's gonna be fiery. I'm not gonna be playing the devil's advocate here. Um <laughs> I think I think you and I are largely in agreement. Um Although we might have slightly different focuses or or we may not, but we're going to find out, uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of uh, pre-prep where we've sort of, you know, got our talking points. This is going to be off the cuff and sincere. So we'll just, yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I do want to follow that point up. Uh, Having a very quick look on um, Google this morning, it's been kind of, for me as a female writer, a bit uh, daunting and a bit dismal. Uh, And I want to bring up this article that I've read from The Guardian. It's the story of Catherine Nichols, who sent her manuscript under her own name. Uh, I think she got two manuscript requests. Then she sent it under a pseudonym, male name. And then she got uh, requested 17 times. And she even made the comment that the critiques that she got were very different in terms of when she uh, sent it through as a female and when she sent it through under a male pseudonym. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty – I've got an example here.
1: While you're looking for that, I would say there is one upside to that. I mean, it is a dismal story. But what it does illuminate is something that I've been banging on about for 20 years, which is that – Voices are not gendered. So if you stick a male name on a manuscript, you might get a different reading, but no one's going, Oh, you know, I can tell that's actually a woman writer because most of the time you can't. I've, I've read thousands of um, unidentified pieces as a teacher. And most of the time. Like 80 to 90% of the time, I couldn't tell you whether the writer was male or female. I've been banging on about this for a really long time because I think it's tremendously important. Where you get into this point of distinction is, is people's preconceptions. You stick a name on it and it's a male name, you get a different outcome to if it's a female name, which, which is alarming. But underneath that is this rather reassuring idea that there is a non gendered universal consciousness, if you like, a way of seeing the world that is uh, more unified. And and that's at least something that I think is kind of cheerful in amongst all this.
0: Yeah. I'm going to read out these comments from Catherine Coles, and then I'm going to talk about uh, someone else uh, suggesting that they can tell the difference between feminine writing and masculine writing. But before I move on to that, So responses from agents to Catherine Nicole's included comments such as, beautiful writing, but your main character isn't very plucky, is she? So that's the comment that she got when uh, submitting as Catherine Nicole's and when she submitted as George, her pseudonym. It was um, describing the work as very clever, well-constructed and exciting. So that's quite different. And I think she was sending this uh, work to all the same publishers that she had for the first round that she sent it off. I mean, you could make the argument that uh, different people uh, that were looking for different works at the time, but that argument uh, still exists that under a male pseudonym, uh, women's work gets picked up more often than not. Uh, And then the topic uh, on to whether you can tell the difference between men and female writing patterns. So, this is uh, something that VS Nepal, suggested mm. so he felt that women writers were quite different i read a piece of writing and within a paragraph or two i know whether it is by a woman or not i think it is unequal to me so he's made a suggestion that no female writer compares to his own work you know he's a Nobel prize uh, laureate He also made the comment that, so my publisher who was so good as a taste and editor, when she became a writer, lo and behold, it was all this feminine tosh. I don't mean this in any unkind way.
1: I mean, it feels like he does. I'm not sure you sort of generally say to someone, you works tosh, but, you know, I mean that kindly. Mm. It doesn't sound right at all. What do you make of uh, those statements, would you say?
0: Um honestly it sounds like someone who's not very well read it sounds like uh, it goes further into so he said this was because of women's sentimentality the narrow view of the world and inevitably for a woman she's not complete master of a of a house so that comes over in her writing too so i've got a a lot to gr- disagree on in that statement. I think a lot of women are masters of the house. They're also masters in their careers or whatever endeavors they're trying to do. But if you're saying that women are just writing about uh, small, sentimental, narrow views of the world, I think you're incredibly incorrect. I think women cover a lot of range of topics in breadth. They're talking about the social inequality, social uh, structures. Um, I mean, once again, you're like, you're narrowing your point of view to say women are only writing about emotions and what it's like to be in the home but that's incredibly incorrect um do you want to name some authors that are female that are writing beyond the scope of what he is suggesting
1: no i don't i think um it's a bit like tina fey had this thing you know like she's challenged tell me women who are funny and it's like i'm not going to answer that if you if you haven't found them do some research, you know, you wanker. Um, it's, it's, it's not a, a challenge worth engaging with. What I would say, well, there's two things actually. One is, uh, he does focus on Jane Austen. And I think that is interesting and I'll let you jump into that in a sec. But the other thing is Nepal has made a career out of writing a sort of a post-colonial in post-colonial settings and according to post-colonial themes. And, that's fine. That's totally fine. But let's not say that isn't a narrow view. Um, so, you know, I think, I think what he's identifying is otherness, things that don't interest him. And I do respect that because, and I don't mean this in an unkind way, but his work doesn't interest me. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's tosh, um, because I'm not being unkind, but that particular, uh, preoccupation that he has and that other writers have, have, including women writers, does not interest me at all. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that one's interests are at play here. So if you take someone like Elizabeth Taylor, who I've been recently talking up all over town, she she does have a vein of sentimentality in her work. Uh, And my question would be, what of it? is sentimentality inherently negative? Do we not all have a sort of a a sentimental bent? She writes about the home. She writes about domestic life. That was the life she had. And she writes about it in a deeply profound way that stretches out far beyond the setting into deeper areas of human experience and existence. Uh, Now, For Nepal, he is missing out. He's impoverished because he hasn't obviously seen her work. Because if he had, he wouldn't make that first statement, I I believe. Uh, So, you know, I think it it does come from a clear... I agree with you. He just hasn't read enough. It's coming from a place of deep ignorance and perhaps uh, of feeling threatened. I think perhaps he does feel threatened. But he singles out Jane Austen. I think that's really... Uh, illustrative. Why? Oh, it's in the same article. That was me throwing to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um,
0: I haven't. I can't got think it in of a reason me. why he singles out Jane Austen. Maybe because uh, Is probably the only name he can think of in terms of a female writer that's well known in the literary world. And that kind of does uh, support the view that he is impoverished and he hasn't looked beyond what has been produced since Jane Austen. I mean, he's uh, neglecting 50% of um, like a wealth of books written by uh, other authors. He compares himself to Jane Austen. Oh, Well, he calls himself... He's been termed the greatest uh, literary English uh, prose writer, the greatest. Um, Already I have an issue with that.
1: Well, who said that anyway? Yeah. It's always dangerous. It's like having a best friend, you know? Open yourself (laughs) up to possibilities. So this is what it was. Um, I found the quote. So... The winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature has lashed out at female authors saying there is no woman writer whom he considers his equal, and singling out Jane Austen for particular criticism. He says, of Austen, he said, I couldn't possibly share her sentimental ambitions, her sentimental sense of the world. And so, yeah, and that was in with regards to whether he considered any woman writer his literary match. So... I think you could objectively disagree with um, the Nobel laureate there. And there's a couple of things that you could say right off the cuff. Yeah. One to expect
0: that- anyone to be your literary match means that, you know, they're producing the exact same stuff as you. I mean, most writers are incredibly original, so therefore that statement doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: That no, doesn't. He's also, yeah, he is conflating the idea of sameness and, and sort of overall evaluation. So he's not sentimental, so therefore they can't be compared, so therefore he's better. It's a very weird bit of logic. Uh, but, but, I mean, look, look, there's two things Jane Austen can claim without too much detraction, I would think. Uh, one is that she is one of those great writers who changes people's lives. I would not claim to be a massive fan of Jane Austen's work. It's not really for me, but there are people who swear by her in the same way there are people who swear by Dickens and they will read her work over and over throughout their lives and get different things out of it. And that's great fiction and it's rare. And I don't believe anyone could say that of Nepal. And that, that's not, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not being unkind. Very, very, very few writers achieve that. So she has a place of greatness right up there with, you know, people like Shakespeare. She does. Um, and I can say that as someone who doesn't particularly appreciate her writing. Uh, my favorite of her works is Northanger Abbey, which, you know, no one says that's their favorite of her works, but that's my preferred one. The other thing is that really, who would you say was the author of the romantic comedy genre? I would say Jane Austen. There may be an earlier uh, person. And, you know, I was thinking later, we talk a little bit about influence, but I would say that Jane Austen is the central figure in modern romantic comedy. She created a genre. There aren't that many genres. Has Nepal done that? Why no, he has not. He hasn't even created a subgenre. So just on a, you know, they are not, she is not his literary match. It is true. She is way above him, way above him. I don't, you know, I want to be a great writer like you, Shannon. I don't expect to reach Jane Austen's heights. You know, it's it's absurd and arrogant to hope for such a thing. You know, if it happens, whoopee, but very unlikely. Uh And, yeah, I think Nepal's a bit deluded, frankly, um, and I don't mean that unkindly. But I think, you know, basically you just look at his statements and they're silly. That's that's my yeah. point of view.
0: Yeah, I would probably yeah, they probably said from a place of ignorance as opposed to uh well, what's he trying to say? He's not being rude. Um, just plain ignorance really. And so we're kind of also talking about like people who got talked out of the room as we've progressed um, from writing uh, to now. So you have been talking up uh, Elizabeth Taylor a lot and there are a few other women uh, that we wouldn't know about unless uh, they had also published under pseudonym names. So Mm -hmm. the Bronte sisters, how amazing are their pieces of work and we wouldn't have them if they had – you know, reached out to a publishing company under a female name, and there are a few others as well. Do you know? Do you any- remember?
1: Do you remember what their name is? I, I, uh, I've forgotten. It's been ages. Let's look it up. I'll look it up while you're while you're talking.
0: Yeah, um, Louisa May Alcott. So she is the author of Little Women, but um, so that was published under her own name. But before that, she uh, used to publish a lot under the A.M. Barnet. Uh, and she used to write sensational Gothic thrillers with subject matter deemed unladylike for a late 19th century female writer. So even then, back then, apparently women had a particular subject or topic that only they could handle. So to get her work out there, she had to, once again, do it under a male pseudonym. So there seems to be this thread happening that only women could write about this topic, only men can write about this topic.
1: George Eliot. Um Curra Ellis and Acton Bell were there. So Charlotte, Emily, Anne, Curra Ellis, Acton Bell. That's the yeah. names they went under. Lovely. Uh,
0: and then we've got another one. So born in Paris in 1804, Amantine Lucille Aurora. Dupin, I'm probably saying that so, uh, terribly wrong, I apologise to all the French speakers um, and fans of hers, is better known as George Sand, one of 19th century France's most prolific writers. She was a weaver of tales of love and social class that critiqued the social norms of the society in which she lived. So a trailblazing early feminist Russian novelist, Ivan Turgenev. Once said of Sand, what a brave man she was and what a good woman. So make the, <laughs> what you will of that statement. I've
1: yeah.
0: got a few ones. I'm just going to throw these names out here. So Mary Ann Evans, her pseudonym was George Eliot. I think mm. you've mentioned that as George well.
1: George
0: Eliot, yeah. Um, Violet Paget, author Vernon Lee. So she wrote haunting fantastic <laughs> stories.
1: I think she's on the Virago press, Vernon Lee.
0: Okay. So I've actually scrolled down to J.K. Rowling. So we all know J.K. Rowling, you know, Harry Potter series, but her ambiguous initials were originally intentional. Her publisher, Barry Cunningham, thought Harry Potter's target young male audience might be put off by a book written by a woman. So, I mean, this is quite early in the 2000s. So, yeah, even then to that uh, time period, it's still quite pervasive, that thought that men are not going to read works by female authors. And um, I think it's the problem, part of the problem at least, um, because I'm going to throw some statistics out here that women uh, will have a 50-50 split of the books that they're going to pick up. Uh, 45% will at least read men uh, authors and 55% women. But then on the male side, I think it's like only 19% willing to even pick up a book with a female uh, author's name upon the cover. So, yeah, that's um, not great. Odds. And even in terms of Margaret Atwood, so she is the author that we're going to be doing a book review on next week. Uh only nineteen percent of her readers are men and eighty-one percent are women. So she is probably one of the greatest uh literary writers of our time. Uh super prolific as well as well, even though she would disagree with that statement. Um and so when you have such a divide and such a split, it does matter in terms of the books that um, I think you use the word impoverished. Um, Men, I think it makes men readers quite impoverished that they're not dealing with a lot of other material that's out there. And it's fantastic material.
1: I agree. And, you know, uh, going back to your initial example, if you took all the names off, uh, people wouldn't know and they just picked the things that interested them. Uh, And so you would have male readers reading a lot more uh, women writers. And it is, it's an enormous shame and there's no real sense to it. You know, Margaret Atwood is clearly one of the most significant writers of the 20th century. She's very important. Uh, still doing some great work in the 21st too. That's pretty pretty neat. And, yeah, shes I believe she's on the Virago Modern Classics, a couple of her works. And you, you find an amazing number of fascinating names. I couldn't find Vernon Lee. Uh, I couldn't find a list of the Virago Modern Classics when you need one, but I'm almost certain she's on it. Yeah, and many of the names I'd never never heard of before, Um, and I find that uh, I look for those green spines with the red apples on them. If you see those in bookstores, I immediately pull them out because I know it's a hidden treasure.
0: Yeah, what's the point of Virago Classics? I don't think we've covered that yet.
1: Yeah, the Virago Modern Classics line is about promoting women writers who, for various reasons, haven't really had their day in the sun. And and essentially what they're doing is they're doing us all a massive favour by, by sort of saying, look, there's these great works out here and you haven't even heard of these people, but here's your opportunity to rediscover them. So Elizabeth Taylor is one of those. And there are plenty of other names, Antonia White, I'm sure Vernon Lee's on that list, Radcliffe Radcliffe Hall, and so on. (laughs) There's a long list. We should actually publish a link to – you can actually get lists of the entire range up to now.
0: Yeah, Um, we'll do that. It's
1: worth going through. But basically, folks, if you're in a second-hand bookstore and you see a dark green spine with a red apple on the side, pull that book out. You won't have heard of the author often. And just read the back, and if it sounds interesting, that's probably because it is. Uh, and the fact that you haven't heard of the writer is kind of what we're talking about today, essentially, but you should have heard of them. You just un- We're all very unlucky that we haven't got to.
0: Yeah. And you jogged my memory when you mentioned that Jane Austen is uh, the creator of the romantic comedy. Um, Shelley could be described as a maker of the genre horror, wouldn't you say?
1: Um, yeah, modern, modern horror. Yeah, you'd give that to Mary Shelley, surely. Mm. And you can go further back, you know, you can say, like, for example, Shakespeare has romantic comedy, and he does. But the shape of romantic comedy as it exists now is much closer to Austen than it is to Shakespeare. And, and, you know, there are points, there are turning points in the history of literature. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was a significant turning point. In horror in that it brought a kind of sensibility that was a modern scientific horror, something you could almost imagine could happen today. It wasn't all ghosts and things like that or, or strange uh, folklore creatures. This was something that had been created by science, by science that she had seen in action to a certain extent. Uh, and then her imagination took over. And yeah, she absolutely deserves the title of the uh the mother of modern horror. She absolutely is. Absolutely is. And you know, so so these are two very I mean, actually, funnily enough, my two favourite genres when I delve into genre as such. A horror and romantic comedy. I love them. I love them.
0: Yeah. Did Mary Shelley have to publish under a male pseudonym?
1: Ah uh, now. Her, the publishing of Frankenstein was complicated. For various reasons. Yeah, something to
0: do with her uh, a family member being part of publishing or something like that.
1: It was published, I believe, twice. So she wrote it in let me let me get out my Dr. Google so that I sound like I know what I'm talking about. So yes, it was 1818 that it was originally published. Her name first appeared in the second edition, which was published in 1821. And so it was published anonymously initially. There was a reworking later on. I feel like it was 1832. Uh, here we go. Oh, the popular edition in, appeared in 1831. It was a miles off. And this was heavily revised by Shelley, partially to make the story less radical. Oh, wow. You can get an edition of the 1818 text. It is around. I recommend it to people. Um That's my preferred version, the one no one reads. Uh, And, yeah, I'd I'd recommend it to people. But, yeah, she published it anonymously uh, for for whatever reason. Certainly that would have helped at the time to get it out there.
0: Yeah. And I think – it's not even just our women needing to publish under uh, a male pseudonym. There's all, uh, and this kind of ties into the podcast that we did in terms of our literary uh, collaborators or writing buddies uh, a couple of weeks ago. So please check out that podcast as well. Women have been fundamental in shaping some of the most well-known names of male authors that we know. I'm just going to throw out uh, the author of The Great Gatsby. So, um, What's his name? Scott Fitzgerald?
1: F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda.
0: Yes. And so I'm just reading off another article here. So Scott also stole some of Zelda's writing and published it directly into his work. So while reviewing one of her husband's books, Zelda wrote, I recognize a portion of an old diary of mine which mysteriously disappeared shortly after my marriage and also scraps of letters which, though considerably edited, sound to me vaguely familiar. In fact, Mr. Fitzgerald, I believe that is how he spells his name, seems to believe that plagiarism begins at home. So that's a pretty <laughs> scathing <laughs> remark from Zelda there. Yeah. And, and that's just one example of um, – Uh, a female writer uh, trying to get out into the world. And most of us know uh, Scott Fitzgerald, uh, which is a huge shame.
1: What about um, Dorothy Wordsworth, Uh, William Wordsworth's sister? Is she in that list?
0: Yes, she is. Oh, good. Uh, I'll read the little blurb that we've got here. So William Wordsworth's sister, daughter and wife assisted him throughout his life. Dorothy transcribed her brother's work, edited his unpublished works, and was his literary executor following his death. William reportedly used some of Dorothy's descriptions without attribution in his successful guidebook, Lake District. He also borrowed some of his sister's journals and wrote his famous poem, Daffodils, using a description Dorothy originally penned. William's daughter, Dora, also aided in copying drafts of her father's works and acted as his literary assistant, as did his wife, Mary. So, wow.
1: Home at Grasmere. It's a Penguin book, and what it does is it takes uh, Dorothy's journals and then whips in Wordsworth's – it's funny, isn't it? I call her Dorothy, I call him Wordsworth. There you go. William's um, (laughs) – His poems based on her journal writings. The initial spark was always Dorothy. It's a big part of the creative process. He had a very good formal style and, and way of putting things into shape. Uh, but the real poetry, like read the journals. So you tell me where the real poetry lies.
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to keep going through this list. Please do. It's, it's fascinating. So fascinating. Um, Helen Palmer. So I'm not sure if you've heard of Helen Palmer. So Helen Palmer's name may not sound familiar, but you probably have heard of her husband, uh, Dr. Seuss. So Ted spent a large chunk of time following World War II writing children's books, something he may not have followed through with had it not been for Helen's intense editorial and emotional support. He went to Oxford University, but Helen, a fellow student, encouraged him to give up education and focus on art instead. Throughout his career, Helen was instrumental in guiding her husband as he produced playful animal illustrations alongside entertaining stories. She took her own life in 1967 after she discovered Ted was having an extramarital affair with a family friend. So, Dr. Seuss, uh, I would... Pretty much guarantee most people know of his name. So without Helen Palmer um, encouraging him and guiding him, we would not have Dr. Seuss. I, I think we could comfortably say.
1: Mm, definitely, and who knows what she might have produced herself if you know um, gender roles weren't so clearly defined at that point in time. You know, she may have produced her own work.
0: Yeah, and uh, talking up uh, women or wives giving up their uh, own works to support their husband, we have Vera Nabokov. So mm. I'm not sure if you know. You probably do, Gareth. No, um, no,
1: you've got me. You, this is one I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> so Russian author Vladimir Nabokov and his wife wed in 1925. Vera gave up her own writing career to act as her husband's critique critic. Sorry reviewer typist and literary agent at the same time she supported the family by working as a secretary and translator when they moved to america in 1940 she even learned to drive so she could take her husband on trips around the country vera reportedly saved the lolita manuscript from being destroyed after a frustrated vladimir threatened to throw it in a fire In the biography Vladimir Nabokov, The Russian Years, Vera is described as Vladimir's wife, muse, and ideal reader, his secretary, typist, editor, proofreader, translator, and bibliographer, his agent, business manager, legal counsel, and chauffeur, his research assistant, teaching assistant, and professional understudy. The author dedicated all his works to Vera. So, well,
1: he obviously understood how important she was. Professional understudy. What does yeah, I don't know that what they mean, mean by that. Does that mean she wrote bits of his work? She could have done. She'd know it well enough.
0: Um, potentially. And in terms of um, women writing work of the men, we have Anna, this is a Russian name, so apologise, Anna Gregoria Venna. Uh, so Fyodor just. Dostoevsky, you know how to say this one better than I do.
1: Dostoevsky?
0: Yeah, Dostoevsky was in a bit of a picker when he first met stenographer Anna Gregor Vienna in 1865. A gambling addiction put him greatly in debt and he signed a contract that would mean losing all the rights to his work if he didn't produce a novel by November the following year. He spent most of the year working on crime and punishment instead of the promised novel The Gambler. Before long, it was October and he realized he needed some serious help. He hired Anna and for the next 25 days he dictated the novel to her as she wrote it in shorthand and then copied it down. During the process, the pair fell in love and they wed a few months later. Anna was responsible for making um, him Russia's first self-published author. She also curbed his gambling problem and helped him avoid risky contracts.
1: Wow! Just the person to meet. Hey,
0: now, yeah, obviously,
1: so- yeah, and we've talked about this before in the forty-eight hours one, way back our first episode. Um, but yeah, if you want to produce a book in thirty days, like all these shonky courses, promise you, you can just get in trouble with the mob, man. That's all you need to do, and then maybe find yeah. yourself an amazing stenographer, and then you'll be you'll be a hit. He was very lucky. To have stumbled Very across lucky. It. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, if we didn't have Anna, um, we wouldn't have The Gambler, we wouldn't have any of these other works, I'm assuming, um, Crime and Punishment. And so I think part of the reason a lot of these women are unfortunately behind the men that are so well known is women didn't have the opportunity um, to go out there. Um, even you mentioned the other day in terms of the educational process for women, um, you said your mom had to finish in year 10 and she mm. couldn't go any further. I remember listening to a podcast with Margaret Atwood. Um, there was two options once you finished high school. I think it was a secretary or something else, uh, maybe homemaking, so cooking. So in terms of the opportunities to get educated, being able to read and write were quite limited for women to then... I mean, it's so impressive to then be able to write a book and send it out there.
1: Oh, my God, yeah. In my mother's case, she actually did one year – she had one fewer year at school because she was so far ahead of the other students, she was put up a level, which I never managed to achieve, God damn it. Uh, So she did – so she really only did what was nine years of school instead of the usual ten for women. And then, yeah, um, she was top of the class, but – That meant that, you know, they highly recommended her when she went to typing school, and that's what it was. There was no possibility of finishing uh, high school and then talking about university. It just wasn't a thing.
0: Yeah. So I think we've covered like a huge breadth of women that – and these are women that we know of. Um, I'm sure there's a huge vast who have been forgotten in history's uh, sieve of things that we uh, keep note of and things that we forget – in terms of nowadays, I still think there is a, a pervasive problem. Uh, I was reading another article saying that even though women are being put forward for for awards, women are still vastly underrepresented in a lot of these awards. So, the New York Times bestsellers, Los Angeles bestsellers, and I think the issue there is that a lot of men are critiquing uh, work and only putting forward. Uh, men work as opposed to having a 50-50 divide between women uh, putting up both uh, gender uh, books forward. Did I explain that well enough? Yeah,
1: I think you did. I I got the gist. I'm going to disagree with you, though, or or tentatively anyway. Um, Is there evidence of that, that most of the judges are men? Because I tend to think it's a worldview in the same way that in that original article... Um, the publishers included a lot of women publishers who treated men differently. And I just wonder if it isn't more of a patriarchal sensibility.
0: I have here an article from seven years ago. Male writers continue to dominate literary criticism, Vita study finds. So I'll see if I can find it. Uh, a pithy statement of oh, a U.S. organization championing women in literature, examined a wide range of publications from both sides of the Atlantic, including The New Yorker, The London Review of Books, The Times Literary Supplement, and Granta, and found that in 2014, the majority still had heavily male-centered literary coverage, both in their use of reviewers and the books that were reviewed.
1: Okay, so the use of reviewers, yeah, that's um, that seems very avoidable, doesn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, it does. You would think so. Yeah, God.
0: I mean, but mind you, this is 2014. Um, I could uh, scout a bit early, so hopefully, in the uh, seven years that have uh, or eight years, it's improved somewhat.
1: Oh, maybe I don't know. Seven years is a snuffle, isn't it? There is another area too that I just want to bring up because I'm not sure it's, it's, it's going to be amongst the, um, resources that you've sourced is, uh, genre fiction specifically. Uh, now this is not scientific at all, but I challenge our listeners to go and have a look at, for example, science fiction. There are some very, very, very good male science fiction writers. Uh, but in general, when you look across the, the range of science fiction, the notable women writers tend to be very good indeed. And I think the reason for this is that uh, it's an easier pathway to publication for women. So, so you know, one of my absolute favourites, Ursula K. Le Guin, found working in genre easier. It was easier to get published, it was easier to get noticed, um, but at the same time, she felt frustrated that her work wasn't taken seriously, and it should be. The literary quality of it transcends any question of genre, which shouldn't be an impediment in the first place. But I, I wonder if that isn't something, that, that you will see some truly fantastic writers focus, say, entirely in horror, because it's an it's an easier space. There, There are fewer barriers, arbitrary barriers put up. Um, and I, I wonder if that's something that also doesn't go back some way. You know, writers who decided to work on romance fiction because they knew they'd get published by writing romance fiction uh, and things like that. I think, I think that would be an interesting avenue of investigation down the track to see if, if we have uh, – you, you could identify there was a, certain spaces where great women writers found they could move forward uh, and so became pigeonholed.
0: Yes. So I think what you're saying is that women writers will start in a particular genre so they at least have the chance to get published yeah. and then they will move into a different genre. Or struggle um, to. Yeah, or struggle to because I think, um, I mean, at least Ot- Tessa Mosch, Oh my gosh, I'm mushfag. so bad with words. Uh, no, it's on, just so much Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I,
0: She's done a great job not pigeonholing herself into um, a particular work, where a particular genre or so forth. But I think if you do go down that avenue where you start in romance and then you um, publish horror, let's say, and people are expecting something from you and you don't deliver unless you get a whole new uh, readership. I think an author also faces a lot of troubles are doing it that way.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just think that initial roadblock of, of getting noticed, I think it might be a little more sympathetic in, in quote-unquote genre fiction. And there are certainly writers like uh, uh, Susie McKee uh, Sharnas, who probably no one's ever heard of. She's a brilliant writer. She writes horror and sci-fi. Um that may have just simply been her area of interest, but I but I feel that that there are some writers who are just off off the charts, great writers who focus very much in genre circles, and then will get compared to male writers who are probably not of the same quality, uh, working in the same areas. And I just think there's something in that. I could be completely mistaken. It'd be interesting if our listeners, you know, think I'm full of of. Um, hot air or not on this one, but I I feel there's something there that I've noticed for years.
0: Mm. Um, And I think there's something here as well. I'm going to read a paragraph from the article talking about the um, male writers continuing to dominate the literary criticism space. So, the figures are at odds with the publishing industry in the UK where some of the biggest-selling authors – of 2014 were Hilary Mantle, Donna Tartt, and Kate Moss. Women are also responsible for buying two-thirds of the books sold in Britain, and figures compiled in 2009 found almost 50% of women were avid readers compared with 26% of men. So I think that's incredibly interesting if you have only 26% of men in the UK who consider themselves avid readers Women are reading far more than men, I think, in general, at least in the Western space. Uh,
1: They're writing more like, too.
0: Yeah. So how do we have such a discrepancy when it comes to recognition of our female writers? So something is going on here, and I think we've been pulling in a few threads, but I haven't really come up with a, uh, a concrete conclusion yet. Did you want to put forward an idea?
1: Well... All I can do is talk to my, my experience. So, so when I was teaching at university over seven years, 75% of my students were women, at least, possibly more, wouldn't mean less. Um, and I think that the, the quality of the writing at the beginning uh, and at the end, and obviously, you know, I was always hoping that I was bringing the quality of writing up across different students, but it was roughly equivalent. I found that, you know, if, if, uh, if it was 75 to 25, then seven and a half women were very impressive. Two and a half men were, uh, and, 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 you know, I don't know why they were these, these halflings in this narrative, but there you go. Uh, when I go to my local bookstore and to be honest with you, every bookstore I pass is my local bookstore. Uh, I'll whip in there and look around. And at the moment, uh, I would say that about 80% of the books I buy are by women, uh, women writers. I don't do this deliberately. I'm not making a statement. Uh, they're just the books that appeal to me. Um, I, I you know, look at the covers, uh, I look at the spines. That's one of the, f- and I look at the titles. I rarely pay any attention to who wrote it. I read the synopsis. And if it. And then I'll probably read the first couple of pages and then I'll think, oh, who actually wrote this? Oh, there you go. But I'm finding that like the last five books I read, four of them were by women writers. Again, there's no method to this. It's just what I pick up next and go, this is speaking to me. So it feels to me that in my experience, uh, the, the, you know, I'm, well, I'm surrounded by texts written by women. It is impossible that there is parody in awards and recognition. That would be impossible in my view, simply because there are far more interesting women writers in the game at the moment, as far as I can see. You would expect them to be dominating awards, simply statistically. Uh, You know, take the names out. It just doesn't make sense any other way. So yeah, there's clearly a massive problem. I don't really understand it. I, I find these kinds of um sexual politics a bit tedious to be honest i want us to move beyond them and 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 start looking at this stuff with fresh eyes with a focus on the power of literature and not worry about all this other stuff but i think we have to bash through it first to get there what what's your what's your experience how would you define your experience of of you know you you go to the queensland writers center sometimes i mean what's the makeup of that for example
0: uh, once again, it's very similar. So I would say it's 80% women and um, 20% men in terms of the stuff that they're working on and, and it's like a vast range of ages as well um, and ethnicity as well. Uh, the breadth of topics is also vast. Um, some men and women are working on memoirs, sci-fi, uh, short stories, stories, Um, just really great stuff. And, um, once again, it it should be a statistics game. If we are seeing, um, women putting the time and effort into writing stuff, it should follow through like a funnel it should be um, women at least a parody of women and men winning these awards um, if not more women at this stage so there is something going on I'm not sure if I believe this article stating that male um, critiques are controlling the literary space for what people are getting to become familiar with and so forth and for me for myself as you know a a writer and wanting to become published uh, it does raise the question of how am I going to combat this apparent um bias that is appearing uh you know I've thought about maybe you know doing the JK Rowling and having just my initials on a book uh or even submitting my work as under just Shannon um I mean, because, lucky, uh, Shannon is quite a unisex name. Um, But, yeah, in terms of uh, going forward and fixing this problem, I think you mentioned um, something along those lines, uh, not having names on a manuscript.
1: Yeah. I mean, my name uh, is six letters and four. And I read in an article once, it was a a psychological thing, that apparently this is the perfect number for a bestseller because my surname can be Larger but my first name isn't so small because it's six letters and not eight because, you know, you've got to justify it. This is the perfect proportion for bestsellers. Uh, And obviously I had the reaction to that, that I have to all things psychological, which I shan't describe here. But I thought to myself, well, if there is any, any possibility that's a real thing, I will never publish under my name in that way so i've decided long ago for me it's my first two initials and my surname um and that may in fact uh, not be to uh, my advantage because people might go oh yeah that's clearly a woman trying to hide her her womanness from me i can't let that pass um it could be that yeah uh so that's my my own personal thing i think i think you know this this uh Obsession with authors in any case is, is tedious. Um, it should be the work. The work if, if people focused on the work, we would get a much more interesting outcome in terms of what we call our literary scene. Uh, another, another publisher I should mention too is Feminist Press. They do great work. Um, I think one of the difficulties, though, is so, you know, in a sense they're trying to correct an imbalance and they're doing it necessarily in a specific way that promotes an idea of imbalance. Uh, what worries me about it is the idea of siloing women writers. It's, it seems like a necessary evil. I don't I don't think they're doing the wrong thing at all. It's just that overall I, I feel worried about it. And the, the people who get published by the feminist press will be even further marginalized by those people who are not willing to read women writers. Oh no, God, feminists don't want to go near that. That'll be, you know, that'll be the end of me sort of thing. Yeah. Would you, would you get published by the feminist press, Shannon, if you had the opportunity? They're very credible.
0: I am of the same opinion in terms of being siloed. Uh, so I, unfortunately I'm going to have to say no. Um, because i want to be recognized for the work that i'm doing because i think it's great stuff i don't want to be recognized for you know my gender um yeah so i want to say no and i actually on the flip side of this argument that we're having in terms of women uh not getting recognized uh there was a story that you brought up uh i think there were spanish two male spanish writers um Entered into a competition under a pseudonym name, suggesting that they wouldn't have been picked if they hadn't claimed to be women. So, what are our thoughts on that?
1: A single woman, in and fact. Actually- they were, and that's mm. important too, because these are all these weird preconceived notions we have of what art is and who creates it and how it's created and the singular genius, which is such a tiresome idea. Um, but they knew it. And they also knew that the kind of um, murder mystery stories they were writing would appeal to women as a readership, which, you know, I, I blame male readers for this, frankly. Like, just read some goddamn mystery stories. They're great. And, yeah, they, there was a terrible reaction when they were unveiled as two men, uh, a great feeling of betrayal. And I can understand that to an extent. But isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that it matters because people were loving their books, were getting so much out of their books, and now they can't because it turns out they're two men. It's very problematic. Uh, By the way, just for the record, I would be published by Feminist Press. I don't think they'd have me, but I, uh, I think my getting published by them would be a step in the right direction in a sense, whereas yours might not be. <laughs> so,
0: That's an interesting statement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I write like a woman.
0: I thought we were saying that there is no distinction. You're right. Uh, between styles.
1: <laughs> you're 100% right. But the thing is that um, if you take my name off it, off my work, you're just as likely to think that I'm a woman. So it doesn't make any difference.
0: Yeah. Actually, if we compared. Our work together, side by side, in terms of what is identified as uh, male writing, uh, which I think you said was brought in by Hemingway's very um, short, uh, not very uh, emotive or descriptive. Muscular. And then masculine. yeah, Yeah, muscular. I would say if we were adhering to those ideas that you've got feminine and male writing, I think we would have a kind of a, a swap. I think yeah. mine is my writing is quite, um, yeah. No, I hundred percent. I, I, I agree
1: with you. You write more like quote unquote a man. The the thing is that men don't inherently write that way. That's kind of the point. Like there there yeah. are styles. Like like uh, lyrical was a word that was thrown around in that first article. That women have a lyrical style. That's, I mean, you can find lots of male writers that have a lyrical style. I would say I have a lyrical style. I, uh, I can be quite, I wouldn't, well, I'd like not to say florid, but you know, one of my great influences is Angela Carter. So make of that what you will.
0: Oh, I'm actually, I had this amazing article that I was going to read a segment out of, and she offers up a piece of writing and she explains all the reason why it's, uh, Written by men, and then she's like, Actually, no, it's this author here that people know about, and so forth. But I've been hit by a paywall, anyway. <laughs> I'm going to put the article in the show notes. It's called Scent of a Woman's Ink by oh, Frances Prose, yes. and it's a wonderful, written, definitely go read it. Um, and in terms of like trying, we're, we've talked about the problem, like solutions. Do you think having uh, female, um, prizes and mail prizes is the answer or not at all? Because once again, I think we're siloing here, but if we had a split, at least you'd get at least more uh, good stuff out there that is being recognized. And I know that once something's been awarded a prize, um, people are more likely to go buy it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's basically my opinion too. I, I don't like I I mean, I'm not even comfortable with the Booker Prize, really. I'm much more comfortable with the idea of world fiction. Um, I think that that should be the focus, and I I don't think any identity politics should play a part in it. I'm not – I just find that, again, I keep using the word, but I just find it incredibly tedious. However, we're not in an ideal world, and it's it's silly – to sort of say, oh, well, we could be because we're, we're miles off it. So, yeah, I do think that women's only prizes have validity. The prizes are meant to serve the function of uh, raising sales and getting some notice. And if it puts some noses out of joint, well, you know, who cares? Um, you know, d- down the track perhaps we'll be enlightened enough not to need such things, but we're not there yet. So I, I think they serve a very valuable function. I'm totally for them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also want to kind of put a pin in this as well because at the moment we're uh, very much just talking about women writers. Uh, we haven't even talked about international writers, which we would love to, but we're just trying to keep this uh, podcast a bit tight, tighter. Um, and but ageism. Yeah, because in, and ageism as well. That's another topic. You have uh, suffered ageism,
1: up. Shannon, young creature that you are. You are nevertheless – too old to be discovered, apparently, in certain scenes. I mean, imagine how I feel. I'm too old for all of these things now. Uh, They'll have a seniors tour for people like me. But yeah, I mean, isn't it absurd that you have to be 25 or under to be a young writer? What does that even mean?
0: Yeah. And I think you brought up a fantastic point. And I'm not going to be as eloquent saying it, so I think you should just repeat it.
1: I don't know what my point is, though, so <laughs> you go ahead. Uh, you said
0: something along the lines of um, – because I uh, I messaged you and I was quite distraught because I was looking at submitting some work to a literary magazine and one of the requirements was you have to be under the age of 25. Uh, so I'm a few years older than 25 and you said um, – one of the points I think which ties in nicely to Women Forgotten History is that there's an um, inequality in that statement because older writers may not have uh, been as affluent and had the time and the space to write at such a younger age. They had to set themselves up as family, get you know a bit more stable in jobs and careers before they could write. So really there's that inequality that exists um, saying, you know, uh, Twenty-five-year-olds now have the space to write, which a lot of other people don't. And hopefully that jogged your memory. It did jog my memory. You said, said it
1: more eloquently than I did. I think I use swear words, but yes, that's exactly it. It's you know, it's like this idea of free speech. Free speech sounds great, but it's mostly you know, free speech is something that rich white dudes get to do. Uh, so you know, it's nice as an idea, but it's not real for most people. And the idea of someone having time to produce a novel by the time they're 25, that sounds great. If you've been, you know, at uni and and your parents have been paying for you and, uh, you know, you're, you're affluent, you're not looking after a kid. You got to do your schooling in a reasonable amount of time. The school had a library because a lot of them don't in Australia, uh, you know, or internet access or any of those things. It's, it's, there's a perversity to it that you know. I think when I did say it to you, there were quite a few swear words. I shan't use any, Qatar. Um, so don't worry. You don't need to ban us. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 an absurdity that ageism, the sexism, the racism in something like literature. I mean, what the heck? Isn't that isn't that a dismal concept? Yeah. So what are we going to do about it? Because I think this is, you know, we've we have been banging on about how bad it is. What can punters like you and I, Shannon, do about this?
0: I don't know if we've mentioned how bad it is. I do think there's a slow creep and it's getting better. I want it to go faster though. I want to um, not be impoverished and have access to books that are in translation, books by men and female authors, a books by a 12-year-old as well as a 95 or 105-year-old person. Um, we really need that space to open up so we have a breadth of lived experiences that we get to read through the literature that we're engaging with. You mentioned that if uh, starting publishing house potentially down the track, how you would combat that, and it really was submitting a manuscript with no name, no identifying factors, and you have a code. Um, Did you want to go into depth about that?
1: Yeah, this is how I would do it and how, in fact, we plan to do it, Um, it, which would basically be you submit your manuscript, um, you get a code, the code you put on the manuscript and you also put on the envelope that goes with it, all the details, who you are, what you're from, all your other bits and pieces are kept inside that sealed envelope until the manuscript has been assessed. We don't know anything about you, just a clean manuscript, just your words. Uh, And I really think that would be a good first step. That's the sort of thing they should do in, in all competitions and, and really all publishers should do it. Um, in my opinion. So that's something that you and I could do down the track. Yeah. And I what about right now, though? I mean, I have something. Do you have any any thoughts off the top of your head, things you'd like to do? I mean, we have a platform. Um,
0: right now, I think, I think the numbers are suggesting that um, men are not reading enough. Uh, if you're a male listener or subscriber, go out to your bookshop and just pick up some random titles from um, – a a Virago classic would be good and start reading uh, female authors and be pleasantly surprised about how um, good the work is. Um, And you will be um, also surprised as well that, you know, there is not a clear delineation between masculine writing and feminine writings as well. Female subscribers and listeners as well start producing our uh, literary criticism and sending it in to these magazines uh, start like shifting that space so there 's not such a male domination in those uh, magazines, so um, other works are being recognized as well and it 's not so dominated. I can't think of what else at this stage. It would be fun
1: to do a clean skin challenge to get some publishers to provide us with books that just have white covers with the title and nothing else before they're published, uh, you know, t- to hand out to punters they don't know anything about the author and see what they they say about it, see if that actually changes um, their perceptions of these books. I think that would be an interesting sort of a brand X and brand Y, you know, Cola kind of challenge. Uh, and then you find out the one you really like is the generic brand from Woolworths. Yeah. That sort of thing. And I have a, I have an idea of the, for something that we could do, and I'd be very keen to do yeah. this. So we've already talked about, you know, getting Virago books in, an, in amongst things that we, um, review, but one of the points of, I th- I'm pretty sure it was the first article we talked about, and it's all slipping away in my bad memory, was the idea that you need a, a polyphony. Like, it's not enough just to raise one author at a time. You actually need to um, recognize the, the, the chorus of voices that have been left behind. So... Now, I I don't approach any of this from a a, a sort of a feminist perspective, which is not to say that I'm not a feminist. It's not to say I am. I refuse to answer such questions because it'll just get me into trouble one way or the other. I would say that um, as someone who appreciates art, and I think art is what redeems humanity, I think that we are all deeply impoverished by this imbalance. Uh, And the reason why we're impoverished is because I very much subscribe to this idea put forth by uh, Harold Bloom. Now, I know Harold Bloom is not every uh, feminist's favorite writer. However, he does have his upsides. His first ever book, The Anxiety of Influence, talks about this concept that writers rewrite their influences and the needle is shifted. And in a sense, they become the originator of of a particular idea. They take ideas that existed before. And he holds up Shakespeare as the classic example of this in that people read Chaucer, who was an inspiration to Shakespeare. People read Chaucer as someone who's reacting to Shakespeare, even though he wrote long before Shakespeare was born. So Shakespeare holds the center of the stage. He's the sun around which all the other planets orbit, including Chaucer. I think that's a really interesting idea, and I I really um, subscribe to it. Uh, The point is that as literature has developed across the 20th century, say, and into the early 21st, there have been writers of deep significance. Uh, And again, I'd say someone like Elizabeth Taylor, really important, really important writer. Um, I've forgotten his name. Who wrote Lucky Jim? It's just slipped out of my head. Oh, Kingsley Amos. And Kingsley Amis said she was um, one of the most important writers of the 20th century. No one's ever heard of her. It's very irritating. And people who read her work will be influenced by it, and they will write in response to it. And that's a thread of a, a sort of a semantic thread that we have lost. And as our literature develops, that thread has been lost arbitrarily. So we're not developing correctly, in my opinion. We have lots of great writing, but this could be much much more interesting things also happening that are getting lost all the, all along the way. So from my point of view, that is the great injustice here, that we have all been robbed of a complete picture of what the great writers of of the last 120 years have been producing. There have been a lot of people who've been just lost along the way for arbitrary reasons. So my suggestion, my challenge to both of us, is to take Harold Bloom's other book from much later in his career, The Western Canon. I think we should get The Western Canon up on our website, uh, thepleasureofthetext.com, like and subscribe, folks. Um, and I think what we should do is add The Eastern Canon and The African Canon and, and, and the rest of it and put together yeah. a canon of the 20th century. I know that's not right now, but you know, give us a break. No one's done this before. 20th century. So we use the existing credible canons. And to, in, in fairness to Bloom, he includes a great number of women writers in his canon. It still heavily favours men. But to a certain extent, that's also because of the way books have been treated. You know, writers we've all missed, Bloom has missed them too. Um, but I think if we start with a canon, Uh, and we, uh, an international canon of the 20th century from mostly male, uh, male critics, put that up and then let's start finding the missing pieces and start adding them in and build a canon for people to go and look at. And then perhaps down the track, we could even make it into like a family tree of influence and see where certain influences have stopped uh, and how they could be reignited you know, essentially, like it's a bit like a gardening thing. You cut a strike, plant it, and start growing the tree that should have been there and and isn't. And I, I think that would be something we could do, at the very least, is to get some names on a web page, and maybe whether they you know not in print, and then maybe what could we do about that? Uh, and that's something that I think, as a community, the people who listen to us, who might be interested in this, could contribute. Um, you know, it's very much a not-for-profit thing. There's nothing any of us can do to make money out of it, but maybe this is just a small thing that we could all do together um, to, to raise up forgotten voices. And a big part of that is women's women's voices. That would be my suggestion.
0: I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm very excited.
1: Let's do it. We'll break it down into what, maybe decades or something. And we'll just do the 20th, and then when we've done the 20th, we can go backwards or forwards. But the 20th will be hard enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In terms of uh, listeners, uh, like and subscribe, as Gareth likes to say. Uh, If you have any suggestions, uh, potential solutions to this um, obvious problem that we're having, getting more amazing work out there, we would love to hear what you guys have to suggest and also like Gareth said, if you would like to contribute to that uh, canon that we're going to be developing on our website, thepleasureofthetext.com, we would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on that as well. This is a collaborative space and it will be a, collab- a collaborative piece of work and I think it will um, enrich a lot of people to get access to that as we're slowly developing it over time. And, um did you have any final thoughts on this topic before we wrap it up, Gareth?
1: No, I mean, I would just repeat the idea that we're all worse off when voices are silenced. It's, it's really not a male-female thing or, or a racial thing. Ultimately, we're all much worse off when voices are silenced. So we could possibly all agree on that and uh remove the political element from it and and start hearing these voices that haven't been heard for a while. And I think I think that would be a good yeah. thing. Mm.
0: Yeah. So I think this is the end for us today. Um once again we are on YouTube and other various platforms. So like and subscribe. Also encourage your uh favorite friends, best friends, um to listen as well. And uh enjoy uh what we're putting together here. Cause I think what we're striving towards is really exciting. So yeah, that's it from us today and we will see you all next week. See you then. Bye everyone. Bye.